0: Is it possible to build a Christian nation? The great commission given to us by our Lord, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, states that we should now be busy teaching nations to observe all the things that I have commanded you. Note that Jesus stresses making disciples of nations and not merely saving individuals. Jesus tells us here that evangelism also includes obedience to all that I have commanded you, in other words, Obedience to God's law. In this segment, we'll explore the greatness of the Great Commission, the idea that successful evangelism includes nation building, teaching the nations of the world to obey Christ. When many people hear talk of building a biblical or Christian nation, they equate this idea with civil government run by the church. Many fear the church taking over the government and rightly so, because they correctly understand that a nation run by a particular church or religion could lead us to tyranny. But when we speak of building a Christian nation, we are talking about restoring a republic based upon laws and moral principles found in the Bible. We are talking about nothing more than restoring the form of government many of our nation's founders intended. Our goal is not a state run by the church, but a nation that accepts and honors biblical law. The most advanced model for government is a Christian Republic, a decentralized, representative government which protects the God-given rights of minorities while recognizing biblical law as the basis for all legislation and civil authority. We should understand that the Puritan model did not lead us to a utopia or a perfect society, but it was a necessary first step in the successful founding of our nation we begin by analyzing the models of the past and by asking our panel the question did a christian philosophy influence our form of civil government
1: throughout history there have been three political parties one is the party which believes in the sovereignty of god and today i work with such a party the u.s taxpayers party The other is a party which believes in the sovereignty of man and man's reason uh, and libertarians are of that view. And the third is every other party which believes in the sovereignty of the state, that the state is God walking on earth. That philosophy came into full flower in the 1960s during the presidency of Lyndon Johnson. And uh, during that presidency, uh, every perverse cause from which America now suffers received federal funding and we saw the federal government becoming uh... the provisioner of the forces of cultural disintegration and social chaos in our country the federal government has no role as an instrument of salvation Uh, salvation uh, is by the blood of christ and by faith in him but in him by god's grace uh... but government should stop being an instrument of moral degradation i had uh... the opportunity to be a fly on the wall during a period of extraordinary change in America. In the uh, early 60s, mid-60s, during the Johnson administration, when they were launching the Great Society, I was the chairman of the Republican Party in Boston, and uh, I spent a lot of time in the black community in Boston. And I saw how federal funds were being used to destabilize the black family, to promote the notion of welfare rights, to promote abortion, homosexuality, the idea of quotas, forced busing, uh things of that kind. I saw how the black churches would destabilize with federal funds. I saw federal funds going to radicals of uh very left wing beliefs. As director of the U.S. Office of Economic Opportunity, I came to see exactly how that was being done, <clears throat> and I worked very hard to persuade President Nixon to veto the continuation of that funding. Tragically, President Nixon, like all of his successors, not only signed into law additional appropriations Uh, he in uh, in fact uh, created new entities that did more harm so did his successors and as we see the federal government's budget grow year after year more and more of this money is being used to fund uh, people who are evangelists for ideas which are antithetical to the founding Christian premises of the United States of America Congress has the right and the duty to set policy in areas which are assigned to Congress uh, in the Constitution uh, especially in article 1 section 8 but the federal government has no authority to act in any area uh, beyond its delegated enumerated powers uh, what I particularly object to is the Congress giving money to private organizations which uh, use tax dollars for cultural ideological economic political advocacy whether it's through the national endowment for the arts the legal services corporation whether it's to groups like gay men's health crisis in the name of aids education whether it's to murder incorporated otherwise known as planned parenthood which uses uh tax dollars to the tune of billions over the years to advance uh, its uh uh, agenda of promiscuity and, and liberal abortion. Uh, that is not only morally wrong, it's completely unconstitutional.
2: And if you want to think about, if you want to ask the question, what should a, our political life be like, doesn't it make sense to go back and say, okay, here's Israel, about to enter the Promised Land, to become a new nation that God has established, and to think, wait a minute, this is a nation that God has established. Now I affirm there are distinctions, we're not Israel. But certainly this would be a place to go to find some wisdom about what states are supposed to be like. I recently uh, uh, wrote a little piece uh, for my newsletter in which I raised this point. Did you ever notice in God's establishment of Israel that God establishes an executive branch in uh, the king to execute his justice? He establishes a judicial branch, but there's no legislative branch no third body there. Why is that? Well, it's not there because God already wrote the laws. If you have just laws, why do you need more laws? Why do we have legislatures in Washington? Is, has life changed so much that we have to have new laws all the time? And if you go and look at the federal registry, the list of all the laws and regulations in Washington, it's growing astronomically, which is again a reflection of the intrusion of the government in our lives. So you know, to think Christianly, go and, and take a look. You might have to make some distinctions. You might have to make some some epical adjustments recognizing that we're not Israel, but surely here's wisdom. Something else they don't have in the Old Testament law that God established, prisons. I thought, thought that when, I, when I realized that, I thought, well, now this makes sense. Everybody's complaining about the prisons, the prisons, this, the prisons, that. Why do we have that? And now we have people like Chuck Colson, an uh, expert in the prisons, saying, you know, we need to have a, a, a program of, of restitution. Well, where did he get that idea? He got it in the Old Testament. Here's wisdom. Let's take a look and see what what they did. And what you'll see there, uh, apart from these kinds of things, is essentially an extremely limited government that does what I'm talking about, protecting life and property.
3: One of the things that I think most people misunderstand about Christian Reconstruction is, first, that it is nothing new. It has been the historic position of the Christian Church over the centuries. In Western Europe and the Americas, it has receded the past century or two. But it has been the Christian way of life. Then what we have to understand is that in our time, we've had a totally false picture of reality, a top-down view of whatever faith it is that people hold that uh, we have to capture the upper echelons of society or the machinery of the state and impose something on the people. We have never had a more top-down culture for about fifteen hundred years since Rome fell. And Rome fell because it Confused as William Carroll Barclay uh, Bark said uh, simplicity with efficiency. In other words, they simplified the state, they centralized more and more, as though that were the answer. And the more they centralized, the more they destroyed the fabric of society. Well we are following the Roman pattern. We are centralizing as though that were the answer, and we're destroying society. Now, as Christians, we believe that the basic starting point is the regeneration of man. Then man takes and applies that faith. For us as Christians, the basic government is the self-government of the Christian man. Then the basic governmental institution is the family. This means that every father and mother will be more important in the sight of God than heads of state, because he controls children, property, and the future. Then third, you have the church as a government. Fourth, the school is a government. Fifth, your job governs you and is a government. Then sixth, society governs you with its ideas, its beliefs, its standards. And seventh, one among many forms of government is the civil state, civil government. Today, we are implicitly totalitarian. We speak of the state as the government. That's totalitarian. So we have to rid ourselves of of such things. The Christian theonomic society will only come about as each man governs himself under God and governs his particular sphere. And only so will we take back government from the state and put it into the hands of Christians?
4: The words covenant, compact, and constitution are all closely related terms. Um, They are not exactly the same things. A covenant is a three-way relationship. Covenant is a relationship between either two people or two groups of people and God. And so it it, it necessarily has a series of checks and balances. It is Trinitarian in nature. A compact is more like a contract signed in the sight of God with God as a witness, and therefore there are. Uh, um, There are two individuals that enter into, or two groups of people that enter into a kind of treaty relationship with God as a witness. A constitution is a manifesto asserting the principles upon which a people will live in the sight of God. So they're all related, they're all derived from one another, covenant being the foundation stone, compact being the fruit of of covenant, and then constitution being the declaration of covenant to a broader body. The American Constitution mixes three different forms of, of government. There is there is a measure of what we might call democracy, in in the House of Representatives, Uh, the people were to gather together and appoint from among themselves, even as the tribes did in the day of Moses, those who would represent them in um, in in groups of fifties, hundreds, thousands, and so forth. Uh, Then there is the the Senate. Uh, The the Senate is. A a covenantal body that was to be elected uh, from out of the state legislatures, so the representatives themselves would choose representatives from among them. Um, So this is a kind of oligarchy in a sense. Um, Then you have you have the judicial and and the executive branches, which are a form of aristocracy or even monarchy. uh, again, deriving from certain biblical precedents, uh, the the precedent of the king, the precedent of the of the heads of the families. So, so in American government, we actually draw from a number of different traditions of governmental structure in the scriptures. Episcopalian, congregational, and Presbyterian forms of government reflect the the diversity of of authorities in both the Old and the New Testaments, and the Founding Fathers sought to to mirror that. Congregational rule, meaning a kind of democracy, a bottom-up affirming of, of natural um, leadership from within, within the congregation. Um, Episcopal forms of government are, are appointive, uh, much more um, along the lines of elitism, a, uh, aristocracy, or monarchy. And then Presbyterian forms of government are, are representative. Again, the Founding Fathers drew on all of these as they attempted to create uh, constitutional standards uh, for this country. Reformational thought, uh, Puritan thought, has influenced our form of government and the nature of our culture in virtually every way imaginable in the way that we present our debates. Uh, the debates in Congress and Senate are are actually ordered according to the uh, the standards of general assemblies in the uh, the various synods and councils of the church, uh, and that's the way Roberts Rules of Order actually emerged. Um, the, the architecture of our public buildings, the uh, uh, the. The invocation of prayer at the beginning and the end of every session of of, uh, the legislature. All of these things are actually derived out of reformational Puritan thought, life, and practice.
5: Solomon, in all of his wisdom, remember what Solomon said. He said, Wisdom was the principal thing, therefore get wisdom. And in all thy wisdom, he said, Get understanding. He spoke in Proverbs 29 verse 2 that when the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice, and yet when the wicked beareth rule, the people mourn. Well, it's my observation America's been mourning in a a certain political sense now for just about 140 years. And it's getting worse and worse. And... uh, Frankly, I'm a little amazed and uh, not a little uh, appalled at how we could have missed this nugget of truth found in Proverbs 29, this idea that when the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. I am now convinced uh, that when we lost our covenantal worldview and Christians began their long, slow retreat back into the Christian ghetto we call our church, the wicked rushed into the vacuum called politics. No wonder politics became very dirty. Well, we're working right now, night and day up here in Leroy, Ohio at Shiloh Christian Church to arrest that slide. We believe, yes, politics is dirty, but it's only dirty for one reason. Christians abandoned it. We believe there is no endeavor, human endeavor, that is outside of the jurisdiction of our King, of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so what we're doing is raising up from among our own myths, once again, citizen legislators like Ron Young, Now what we did to get him elected, and all the glory and the credit goes to Jesus, but he uses earthen vessels, weak people like ourselves. We plotted a strategy, we picked an opponent, we put in 12 phone lines in his basement, we hired someone who knew how to do these things, and then we recruited the members of our church and for just about the better part of a year we came to his basement we got on those phones and we called every registered republican voter and independent voter in the district we were trying to get him elected and something very strange happened We defeated a five-time inner circle Republican governor, kind of incumbent, by this unknown named Ron Young. It was a miracle, and what we felt God was doing was trying to show us the truthfulness of uh, Solomon's utterance, that when the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. Now, what has happened in the last two years with Ron in the state house? He has effected a revolution down there. The so-called fiscally conservative Republicans, you know those men who are suffering from PTSD permanent testicular atrophy or PTA rather. He has, he has been able to put courage into them, backbone into what it is they're doing. Ron is epistemologically self-conscious. That is, he understands his belief system. When he speaks, he speaks as a man with integrity, courage, and a worldview. He doesn't take his finger like so many politicians and put it into the air wondering where the political winds are blowing. No, he goes down there and sets the agenda. He's been down there and the job he's done in two short years has been nothing short of a miracle. You have to believe the scripture and then you have to work. You have to roll your sleeves up. You have to give your money and then you have to labor in other words you got to get in the fight we believe that out of this church of 275 people there are going to come forth from the loins of this church presidents vice presidents, senators, and congressmen. Why? Because this is what the church did uh, in her beginning. This is what the church has always done and this is what the church will do again. We understand that Christ was not crucified in a cathedral between two candles. Christ was crucified out there at the town garbage heap. He was crucified in a place where cynics talk smut and where soldiers do their thing. That's where churchmen ought to be. And that's where churchmen will be once again. And that's where we're going.
6: There's great consternation and controversy about what Christ's lordship actually means in the real world. Most Christians will not argue with the fact, and I say most, with the fact that he does rule our lives, that he is the ruler, the Lord, the king of our lives. They may even go so far as to say he's the king and the ruler and the Lord of their families. Maybe, if you stretch them far enough, their church. But much beyond that, the idea of Christ's Lordship begins to fall on deaf ears. And the retort you often hear revolves around the time period when Christ is there before Pilate's Inquisition. And he says uh, to Pilate, my kingdom is not of this world. We have to put that in context, however. When Christ said, my kingdom is not of this world, he was not saying that his kingdom is not manifest in the world, what he was saying to Pilate, and Pilate understood this, that the irony is the pagan, the tyrant understood this, but Christians don't today. The idea was, my kingdom does not gain its authority or its legitimacy from Rome or from the Sanhedrin. It comes from on high. And so the authority of Christ's kingdom is not of this world, but nonetheless, the kingdom has invaded this civil world realm, the family realm, this earth. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Every aspect of society is touched by the kingdom of God. Now, how does this work practically? If every tongue will confess, every knee will bow before Christ, that He is the Lord. And that means monarchs and kings and state representatives and congressmen and presidents. They all must bow the knee before God. And by what standard are they going to bow the knee? Yes, it gets back to God's law. So, yes, the kingdom has no um, place in terms of seeking approval or legitimacy here in the earth. It doesn't need the president's approval to exist. Its authority comes from the other world and therefore it's superior and higher. But the kingdom is manifest in the world and Christ's lordship is manifest in the world, in the civil realm, in the political realm, in the family. Every aspect of society, economic, science, Christ's lordship has the claim. That's so when we talk about Christ's crown and covenant. The crown rights of Jesus Christ. By virtue of the finished work of Jesus Christ, He has right to rule. He has the keys to the kingdoms of heaven. He has reconciled all things in heaven and in earth. The visible and the invisible. The living and the dead. He rules over all. And so Christ's lordship is comprehensive in scope and absolute in its authority.
0: A biblically based state does not imply the domination of the state by the church. To the contrary, it implies a godly separation of powers. It assumes that men, even Christians, are capable of great evil and that the powers of government should be limited and separate. A Christian nation is based on the principle that civil government ought to be founded on the moral laws found in the Bible. Therefore the issue for which we ought to be contending is the place of biblical law in civil government. This is the true path to building a Christian nation. It would also imply the idea of religious liberty or freedom of religious conscience as a God-given human right. In other words, there would be no establishment of a particular Christian religion by the state. It assumes that the church would rule by training civil rulers in their knowledge of the Bible but would not rule with civil powers directly. We should work for the day when our civil offices, from the local city council to the United States Congress, from the Supreme Court to the White House, are occupied by Christians. This level of success is not an impossibility, but it does imply a national revival to precede or accompany the reformation of government. A day when our leaders will recognize biblical law as the basis for government and Jesus Christ as Lord over America.